Welcome to another episode of Nipe Story. This fortnightly podcast brings you audio versions of short stories from Kenya and across our African continent. I'm your host, Kevin Wachiro. And on this episode, we are featuring the story, Banana Jam. Every morning, except Sunday at precisely 6.15, Pastor Sweet leads us in prayer. Our Hawkers Cooperative always begins a day like this. Father, we welcome you to this place and we ask for your security. Yes, we chorused in respect. For your guidance. Yes, and for your protection over us and our goods, for this road is under your control and majesty. The yes is crescendo at this point. For the drivers and passengers that we serve, may they see the need that we provide and open their hearts to kindness so that they may purchase our goods. There is some clapping to compliment the yeses and hallelujahs and Pastor Sweet's voice becomes even more emphatic as he prays for the buses, the Boda Boda riders, the police, the governor and even the president. His signature sign-off never changes. That we may prosper and find favor in this your promised land. Amen. Amen, we shout in unison and clap. And with that, our work commences. Hands reach down and pick up their respective wares, cargo as we call it, their phone chargers, solar lights, sun visors, jumper cables, toys, airtime, vegetable peelers, tangerines, grapes for the high-end customers, bottled water, packets of sweets, wall calendars, DVDs, and of course, bananas. Bananas are my bread and butter. We are good, hard-working business people trying to make a living in this, our Nairobi. We are a sight. Our faces carry the harshness of our reality, a reality that has the wounds of battering husbands, hungry stomachs, ghosts of alcohol, and a swathe of memories. We still believe in the promise of this city that was once green. It is the 11th of July. Aside from mine and my mother's birthdays, it is the only date I always remember. Today, the cold morning air nips deeper into me than usual. The women around me wear Maasai shukas over their heads and torsos over heavy jackets. The men wear jackets over jackets over sweaters. Those who are lucky have gloves. No matter how much we try to keep warm, the cold season is still piercing. For many of us, our day starts at 4 a.m., Considering that it's a time of the morning when sleep is at its sweetest, our struggle begins early. The stock needs to be counted, prepped, bundled, and then parceled. I have money on my mind first thing in the morning and last thing at night. I've already been to Marikiti to collect my daily cargo of bananas. I get 30 kilos of Ndizi's Kilasiku. By 5.30, I've already broken bulk and dispatched them to my customers. I have an eye for bananas, and I'm fondly called Wandizi by the market folk. My bananas never disappoint. They are long, sweet, and filling. I refuse to touch finger bananas. You don't get any money selling them. My Bogoya bananas are what the customer craves for. You make at least five bob profit on each banana sold. More than anything, I love the taste and smell of bananas. There is sweetness to their scent, and they know how to silence hunger. Sara, Sara, kwani akili yako ikwapi? asks Pastor Sweet. He brings my mind back to reality. I look up and see most of the squad having their chai and mandazi by the Shell petrol station across the road. I'm not hungry today. 
After prayers, we wait for the police to arrive and open shop for us. We also use this time to collect our contributions for them. Didn't you know that Nairobi's traffic jams on some roads are stage managed? Yes, it is we hawkers who are to blame the most used phrase in the city. Niko kwa jam. Okay, we can't take all the credit for the city's notorious traffic, but we are a key factor. As the head of the Mombasa Road Jitegeme Hawkers Cooperative, I'm in charge of collecting Sadaka Yakarao, the police offering. We pay the cops daily. Each hawker in my squad pays 50 shillings to the cops and another 30 shillings to city council Askaris as hush money. The remaining 20 shillings we used to pay the fuel attendants who give us access to their toilets. Toa kaka, toa dada, toa ka, toa, toa dada. I mockingly sing an offertory song as I approach the breakfast table. Hi, Sarah Obama. Kwani, one time umekunja uso wako na sasa, you're singing for us. Kwani, unanyeshewa? says Hamida. She doesn't miss one thing, this one. Her tongue is venom. My cheeks are suddenly warm, embarrassed that Hamida has told everyone I'm on my periods. Hamida isn't her real name, though. She's adopted it because she wants to get married to a Muslim man who can look after her. She reasons that any man who can look after four women and their children is a man worthy of marriage. She sells bottled water and hopes that her sheikh will notice her or her water. Bananas, she says, are for women whose breasts have fallen and who don't have sex anymore. She scorns us, saying we only sell bananas because we're attracted to their phallic shapes. I'm fond of Hamida. Her candor can be disarming, but I know deep inside there's a kind and gentle soul. She describes herself as a realistic Muslim, though she has never told us what that means. The hijab that frames her beautiful face is the only indication that she's a Muslim. Well, apart from Fridays when she was a full-flowing buibui, the air around her smells of bint el Sudan, coconut oil, and she always has a small bottle of rose water spray on herself. My own father fled our home and left my mother with four children. What kind of man does that? He's a coward for what he did, and I will never forgive him. She told me one day she could recount her story. Hata in Nairobi, Nashida Zake, it has not been as cruel to me like he was. My mother still washes the underwear of those people who drive past us in flashy cars. Mimi ni totua chupi. I'm a child of other people's underwear. Anyway, she laughs. Hamida has a mouth and she spares no man of its rancor. Settling down with a good Muslim man will be a gift to humanity. She's one of the few people who sees through me. She sees me flinch slightly and then mouth something. I ignore her. I can't take her questions. Not today. Besides, my period cramps are nothing like the squeezing I feel in my heart. I grab the bag full of dirty and mangled 50 shilling notes. 50 bob, the poor man's currency. I stuff the money into the hemline of the lycra tights that I constantly wear. Money that is kept there will survive any operation by the city council. No man would dare search a woman there. I remember one overly eager city Askari trying to maneuver past my layered and rounded waist to get to my treasury. I have never screamed rape so loud. I tore my blouse and I wailed. I have no idea what ever happened to him after that day. Shame is a powerful thing and my money has never been safer. Check him a blue boy, announces Bolt. He's my business partner and probably the sharpest among us. We turn our heads to the direction he's pointing to. Standing by the footbridge, we see the four policemen chatting amongst themselves. Terere is one of them. I kick my tongue. 
There are few resigned sighs from the others, coupled with a general sense of apathy that is prevalent among the group. We know we are beholden to them, but we both thrive off this symbiotic relationship. This is how the city runs. As we learnt in school from Francis Mbugwa's betrayal in the city, we live in a man-eat-man world. I smile to myself as I remember my one and only true love, my literature classes. Terere Leoni, head boy, the man in charge, jokes Walt. We laugh. Even in our misery, our bellies still know the sweetness of humour. Bolt's dry wit is as welcoming as a morning sun that slowly warms us up. He's a tall, lithe, dark as charcoal and blessed with feet that fly. His teeth and the whites of his eyes shine in contrast to his rugged looks. He's charming, unafraid, and a little too trusting. He's a relentless salesperson, and maybe in another life, he could have been a merchandiser in a supermarket. His body is strong, and he's taken it upon himself to protect us women, especially Hamida. He carries the smell of life boy soap and youth, and his mohawk reminds me of a rooster. During his early days on the road, he foolishly threw himself onto the bonnet of a car in order to get his cash. This display of naive bravado shocked us all, but not as much as a driver who was trying to get away without paying. Such was the hunger of his spirit. Surprisingly, Bolt still dreams of living and not just surviving. He reminds us often that only animals are meant to survive. I break away from the group as it slowly crumbles. We'd be hungry and penniless if we didn't bribe the police to manage the traffic. The cops have devised a system where a different officer receives the money daily. This covers their tracks. If it works for them, then it works for us. My phone beeps and I see the number that is meant to receive the money today. Of all the people of all the days, why did today have to be terrors? I feel my stomach muscles clench. Ugh. This day has come with too many memories. I send the money quickly back to my workstation and pick up my first bunch of bananas. I wince. My insides are being kneaded. I am angry. The other members of the squad have already started meandering around the cars, peering into my tattoos and miraculously avoiding Boda Bodas, the two-wheeled banes of our life. My phone beeps again. Is terror. Asante, Ukopoa, he asks. What does he think? Of course not. I refuse to acknowledge the message and I stuff the phone back into my fleece. The date on the phone reminds me again. It is July 11th. I feel a sudden chill and pull up the zip on my fleece as high as I can. It's only seven in the morning and the windows have already been rolled down and hands hungrily grab bananas and mandazi. Many of the commuters have already been on the road for an hour. We call them the breakfast crew because it's too early to sell mechanical stuff. Most of the squad resort to selling FMQ. Feed me quick. We'll be kept busy for another hour. I've learned to read the city and its commuter traffic. Our early customers are, are all probably employed. They are young and old, trying to make a life for themselves, but enslaved to jobs that probably give them no joy or freedom. The breakfast crew also has too many school buses. Windows pillow small heads. Even they know it's too early for laughter. This city spares no one from its unforgiving cycle. By 8.30 a.m., the customer mix changes to hustlers with wheels, many of whom are probably self-employed, running a car business or chasing a tender or a cabil. There is a sense of camaraderie in the way they deal with us. Words and phrases like kuhustle, kuskuma biznan, a survival tool, kufuata unga are shared between us. 
This is my favorite shift. We're not just viewed as hawkers. We're people to them. Then they're the drivers, tourist vans, couriers, canters, and taxi drivers who make a good part of the day. And of course, they're the long-distance passenger buses with their imports into the city. Somehow, we end up being travel information booths for many of the new arrivals who have no idea how to navigate the city once they disembark from their buses or matatus at the roundabout. To be honest, they're safer with us than with the vultures down at the bus ranks. By midday, we have split the variety of our wares, food, household appliances and accessories, car accessories, toys, FMQ, airtime and water. We have more goods to offer than the now-muted supermarket Nakumat. I hear a whistle coming from the direction of terror. That can only mean one thing. We had to take a break as he opens up traffic on the other end of the junction. I echo the whistle as it is echoed further down the lanes. In sequence, we all move to the side of the road and watch the cars scurry like safari ants. There must be a backlog of traffic already. Sarah Obama, I recognize Pastor Sweet's voice. God is good. All the time, I reply. Same Alphonse. This man reeks of yesterday's dirty water. I take a deep breath. He's not a real pastor, but has assigned himself the role of being our spiritual guide. He's always smartly dressed in the most ridiculously colored suits. Today, he's in purple with a once white shirt and a slim black leather tie. He has a pair of sunglasses that crown his clean shaven head and a small backpack for his Bible and numerous packets of sweets. Honestly, we don't know how Pastor Sweet can afford to have an array of suits from selling tropical mints. But in this business, you never ask too many questions to avoid people asking you many questions in return. Rumors are rife and to make for sweeter gossip. My prayers that someone will buy him a mtungi of clean water and a huge bar of life boy soap. I've overheard some of the women call him Pastor Sewage behind his back. My kin can be mean. Your story, Ahamida, he asks. Pastor Sweet has an eye for her. Did you tell her about me? Pasi, you know how Amida is. Tuliza Moyo, calm your heart. I try and be tactful, but I don't know how to tell him that Hamida doesn't think much of him and his rainbow-colored suits. But my pastor has prophesied that she will be my wife and the church is already praying for our union. She must be mine, he says a little too confidently. Faith is good, Alphonse. Lakini... Don't forget to think with your mind and not just your heart. I try to dissuade him. He's adamant that Hamida must be his and tells me that he will even allow her to keep her Muslim name. I should tell her that. Ntajaribu, I lie, not committing to what for my trying will take. Amen, he says, and walks off rubbing his head furiously and praying in tongues. What does that smelly fool want? Hamida's voice comes up from behind me. It startles me. In this business, everyone watches and stares and then creates stories that they like their ears to hear. Hamida, you know Alphonse likes you, I tell her. That is all I say. She clicks loudly. I never want to give advice or get entangled in other people's business. Fortunately, the cars have stopped and we both take this as an opportunity to kill the topic of Pastor Sweet's heart. I notice that Hamida is strutting towards the cars, her breasts pushed forward, announcing her arrival. She does brisk business selling water. Anataka, asked Bolt from across a white pro box with tinted windows. Later, I tell him, avoiding his eyes. This is a love triangle I don't want to get involved in. I 
plead to my reflection on the tinted window, hoping that beyond my image is a buy for my bananas. I stand for longer than usual. My middle-aged face stares back, judging me. A slight grimace is on my face, so I smile harder, hoping for acceptance. But nothing. The car slowly moves on. The day has warmed considerably, and I realize I have not shed the layers of clothes that protected me from the dawn cold. I step off the road and go towards one of the acacia trees that marks as a makeshift closet on the central reservation area. The tree is already draped with various items of clothing and a few handbags. I hang my fleece, free my braids from my headscarf, and open my hoodie halfway down my torso. My breasts may not be like Hamida's, they won't sell much, but they are far from pointing south. I notice the gunia at the foot of the tree is already half empty of bananas. God is good, I say to myself. Vault has been my game changer since we became business partners. I contemplate going back to the road but opt to take a break. My insides scream. I don't understand why my cramping seems more severe than normal. I want to lie down but can't. Won't. There's a weight to this day that I'm fighting to ignore. I give myself a break, sit down and use this chance to take in my workspace. This Mombasa Road and this Nyayo Stadium roundabout is my life. For a Kibra-born girl, I've done well for myself. I remember my mother would say, Kibra has no time for dreams. Don't be one of those girls who's born here, schooled here, marries here, and then is buried here across in Langata. Now, where were mom? I would challenge her, but she'd always have the same response. Sikuzaliwa, Nairobi. I wasn't born here. Remember that card of a father of yours brought me here? I still have a home to go to and be buried. I have my people. My father did not chase me away, for I am still his daughter. I am only this city so that you, my children, can have a life. There is no money up country, and there is no dignity dying poor in the village. One must be able to afford their own grave. My mother is a hard woman. She bequeathed me that alongside her dark skin, skin that got sneered at, shamed, and shunned. This made me blind to my beauty. I figured getting out of Kibra would offer me less bitterness, and I went out in search of places where my darkness could hide me. I had no money and hence found solace in another Nairobi slum. Sinai became my new home. It was grey to the north, south, east, and west. The safari com banners and signs were the only forms of green we had. I hid my Kibra roots. Kibra is aspirational to some slum dwellers. It has roots in this city, a heritage that is renowned globally, NGOs that offer jobs and upgrading schemes. Even Akon has promised to help Kibra. But Sinai, on the other hand, has no stories to tell. Moving here was seen as taking a step down. It is a slum that has weeded itself within and around the many factories that make up industrial area. And it was here that the name Sarah Obama was born. The year I moved to Sinai was the year President Obama visited Kenya. This 19-year-old Kibra girl somehow morphed into Sarah Obama. Even I had the audacity to hope. My cramps have subsided, but my body is still hot. I forget that I'm under the acacia tree. I forget Jitegeme, Hamida, Pasta Sweet, Bolt, and even my bananas. And I remember, I remember Millicent. She had a quiet voice and a heart that could accommodate Nairobi. That night, when she found me seated in darkness in my Mabati home, grasping a pregnancy testing kit, she said, Usiogope mimba Sarah. She could see right through me, just like Hamida. Millicent is the only person outside of my mother that I trust. 
Her words, not about being afraid of pregnancy, kept replaying in my head. A child is a gift from God. Millicent attempted to ask me about the father of the child. My silence and stare shut her down. She didn't prod. Instead, she held my hand and said, To tamlea sisi sote. We shall bring the child up, and besides, your mother is still alive. Millicent is my friend and my guardian angel. She loves children so much that she set up a small daycare center here in Sinai. It doesn't bring her much money, but it gives her joy. I, on the other hand, had promised myself that I was not going to take the child to my mother to feed for me. She had struggled too much, and how could I tell her that I was unable to bring up one child after she managed six of her own single-handedly? I looked at Millicent, and our eyes contemplated options. Kisara, who is he? You can't get rid of it, she begged. Siwezi, lakini sitamlea. I'm not ready for a child, I said. Millicent saw me through a difficult pregnancy. Maybe it was a way of ensuring that I didn't abort the child. We managed to conceal the pregnancy and I went on selling my bananas. Millicent went out of her way and even identified the midwife who had agreed to birth my child and take it away once it was born. I even gave her the honor of naming the child, though with one condition. She would have to include the father's surname. Name's Jana, Sarah. A girl, said the midwife. I remember so many things from that day. Never having to be so tired in my life, the child's first cry, Millicent and the midwife's joy, and how tightly I shut my eyes so I wouldn't see the child. I turned away from them and fell asleep. I still hear the crying every night. These are my nightmares that will forever haunt me, especially today, the 11th of July. I try to get up, but my body hardens as I cramp. I groan a little too loudly, and women who had shown up next to me ask me what the matter is. I tell them nothing, but they know what I'm going through. One of them offers me a couple of Panadols. My eyes thank them, and I swallow the painkillers hard. I wish I had breasts like Hamida. On a day like today, it would have made work so much easier. My phone beeps again. It is a text from Terer with only a couple of question marks. I quickly glance in his direction and find him looking at me. I click my tongue at the phone and ignore Terer's messages. I reach for a hand of bananas from the Gunia and go on to take on Mombasa Road. I dart towards an upcountry minibus that is planted amongst a sea of saloon cars. The orange minibus is laden with suitcases, charcoal and sacks. Eyes peering from it are either tired, hungry, anxious or expectant. They are ripe for a kill. Bolt is on the other side of the minibus and we move from window to window, hand to hand. Pastor Sweet is behind me with his bag of tropical mints and God bless you. Business is brisk. Whoever says economy Nimbaya is a liar. By the time the traffic is released, Bolt and I are out of bananas. He dances his way through the cars to come across to my side of the road and heads towards me. Bolt, who Pigari? I ask. Aren't you afraid of the cars? How can you be afraid of customers? Is his cocky reply. We walk back to the Gunia to get more bananas. I have become a Muslim, he announces. Mimi ni shabab sasa, he says jokingly. He goes on to tell me that his new name is Samir. I struggle to remember his old name. He smiles at my bewildered face. Bolt goes on to talk about his disappointment that Hamida was indifferent to the news of his recent conversion. I told her that her sheikh has arrived and all she said was, Acha ototo, and then she walked off. He asked why she would consider something like that a childish thing to do. Before I could even answer, in his bolt-like confidence, he reported that he knows Allah will grant him Hamida. Why can't God keep out of love, I ask myself. 
one Hamida is equivalent to four wives. Nitam show, I'll provide four times of whatever she wants. I know he can work hard, and I can't help but feel proud of him and his dreams. He is young with a body that was carved by unforgiving construction work, and he believes in the sweat it till you make it philosophy. He would have gone on working at one of the myriad construction sites that have plagued the city, but Athma curtailed it. He reckons he can handle exhaust fumes better than he can handle cement dust. Bolt. He's like a brother to me, and I'm worried that he's oblivious to the way Hamida puppets his soft heart. I wish I had the words to tell him that girls like Hamida will only love the content of the heart if it has a bulging wallet to match. He walks off with a fresh batch of bananas. His feet seem even lighter than before. My skin erupts and looks like a feathered chicken. There is an unpleasant wind in the air and a heaviness in the sky that brings discomfort. Sarah, Sarah, it is Hamida. I expected her. She walks hastily towards me. Her wide forehead glitters with sweat and her body and breast no longer display their confidence. Bolta mikwambia, she asks. He told you. I know he did. Kwani, Nishida? Yes, it's a problem. She looks around nervously cautious of roving eyes and satellite ears. Ninini, Hamida, what is it? Ninimba tena, are you pregnant again? She shoots a sharp look at me. I wait for her tongue to pierce. I'm not afraid of pregnancy like you. We've stabbed one another with our secrets, but hers inflict more pain. Did she know? How? My eyes betray me. I am stunned and instantly feel a little faint. I want to sit down. Terer Aliniambia, he told me everything, she says sardonically as she holds my forearm and leads me to a makeshift bench by the tree. I sit, my body slightly relieved. Hamida continues, Sikiza, listen, you need to speak to your friend Bolt. Just tell him, because he is now Muslim, that he has not gained the right to marry me. Sintaki! Besides, she lowers her voice, I'm not yet a Muslim. I will only convert when I get engaged. She reads the questions on my face. This day is too late for me. Haven't you noticed that I never stop to pray during the day? And that I only wear my buibui on Fridays. It's good for business, she says casually. Muslims know how to support their own. She stops abruptly and struts off. I feel eyes behind me, and I'm startled to find Terra standing there. Nini sasa, I ask him, irritated, my eyes bitter. Why can't you leave me alone? Mona ushiki simzangu. Why are you ignoring me? He asks. Do you think I don't know about today? And doesn't my pain also count? The sound of Pastor Sweet raising his voice grabs our attention. He and Bolt are arguing. Then the road screams, then thuds, then mental wrinkles, and then a vacuum. Hamida howls. That's when I see Bolt, my precious bananas flying, my voice empty, and my stomach screams. I hate the fact that Juliet Malaika Terer would have been one years old today. Banana Jam was read to you by Mona from the Afriwetu podcast and was written by me, Kevin Mochiro. This story was inspired by the many enterprising business women and men who you'll find weaving through the traffic of Nairobi. To know more about me, you can watch my TED Talk that is available online and you'll get to know why I started Nipe Story and why I call myself a storyteller. My sincere thanks to those who took time to vote for Nipe Story for the inaugural African Podcast and Voice Awards. Asanteni sana for your support, kind words, and for lending us your ears. We're taking a break and we'll be back in September, but please feel free to have a listen or re-listen to previous stories. You've got over 80 to choose from. 
Nipi Story is available to download on AfriPods, the platform for African podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Please write a review and rate this podcast and also tell your networks about Nipe Story. Take care and namaste. Nipe Story is a finger piano production.